Hello, you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Unsanitized. Happy New Year! Christmas. A time for giving each other the COVID-19 virus. Yes, the lifting of restrictions did not pan out as the government had hoped. With cases about to hit over 3,000 a day at this time of recording, hospitals beginning to near capacity and testing centres are now beyond their own capacity. So now you'll only get tested if you have symptoms, if you're a close contact. Do you know, it sounds like a perfect time to reopen the schools. Back in August, I recorded a set of episodes called Unsanitized, where I was arguing that it would be within every school's interest basically to prepare for a blended learning scenario. Um, I had, uh, I admit, incorrectly guessed that schools wouldn't be able to cope with COVID-19 at all and that we'd be closed by the midterm break. Well, I guess I was a half term too early, but here we are. Um, It's been a very interesting week or two for primary schools. Uh, We were due to go back to school on Monday, the 6th of January. Um, That's uh, just a couple of days from this recording. Um, I'm recording this on the Saturday. But from where I'm sitting, can you actually imagine that happening? Really? I don't think I felt as scared as I do now about this virus. Enfesh agree the virus is rampant. Positive testing is up to 50% in some areas. And the R number, um, which I, I think I understand at this point, is quickly heading towards 2 Uh, which is clearly not a good thing. I really don't like to exaggerate, but if we simply chuck everyone back into school now, we're going to be in big trouble. Luckily for us, the INTO General Secretary wrote a letter to Norma Foley, the Minister for Education, to pause the opening of schools until the 11th of January. And the next day, luckily, Cabinet agreed to extend the school holidays by three days to get the numbers down and to allow schools to prepare for reopening. Now, whether or not you believe this was an all a big orchestrated move, I'm not sure it really matters. Personally, I don't think it was pre-planned, as tempting as it is to follow that narrative. I mean, I've read and I've reread and I've read it again, uh, John Boyle's letter to Norma Foley, and I just I get more and more annoyed by it every time I read it. It appeared to me that he was suggesting that schools would delay reopening for three days, so the management bodies or management, sorry, could get their schools ready for reopening. Now, he went on to say sometimes late, uh, you know, sometime later in the year, those days would be made up. Now, I wonder, will the management, who will be working those three days, get time in lieu? Well, of course they won't. And when people say management, like John Boyle or any of these uh, representative bodies, uh, and, and when they're talking about schools, they don't really ever mean boards of management. They say it's, oh, well, the board of management will do it. Everybody knows that boards of management don't open the schools. Um, and we, we've talked about this before on the podcast. Principals, I guess, are now well used to being expected to work 24-7 by the INTO. So I suppose, why should that position change? I mean, when we got when we were asked for our personal phone number in case there was any cases, the INTO didn't mutter a word that we were now on call 24 hours a day. However, to be honest, it's not the main point or why I, why I was really that cross. It's, it was an, it's annoying, but not the main point. I get this year is different. You know, I understand that in times of a crisis, one does what one has to do. And yes, 
it's becoming really frustrating um what listening to, you know i suppose what they're called now the teacher bashers out there and yes it's extremely frustrating you know to hear things like norma foley getting all these accolades from the media as the best newcomer td of 2020 despite the fact doing nothing uh, i do absolutely know the work to get schools open safely and yes it's even more frustrating watching the representatives floundering as they lose control of the country i mean it's just you know i don't know my theory anyway for what it's worth is that it became very clear that the virus was out of control and as the politicians kept twittering on about definitely reopening schools and how safe schools are and all that nonsense you know lucky them john boyle actually gave them a get out clause i i think that's what the narrative really was i don't think there was any more to it however for me delaying the opening of schools for three days will make absolutely no difference to anyone's safety in schools it was a lovely soundbite to be fair it made it look like action was being taken and it made people say things like well it's a step in the right direction which which people did in spades anyway the problem is that it isn't actually a step in the right direction i hate the term step in the right direction because you know when you when you actually look at the, what's happened it's not a step in the right direction it's it's standing still for three days and doing nothing and then going back to stepping into the same precarious situation three days isn't going to make any difference schools won't be any safer if they open the 6th of january or the 11th of january in fact it doesn't really matter when we reopen the schools if the virus is at the levels they are at right now and where they seem to be going now i spent my entire summer uh, working in my school obviously but while i wasn't doing that and i was recording these podcasts i was quoting lou reed um or, or maybe it was the bible um i heard it on lou reed first though uh, that the government are going to reap what they've sown and as i said at the start of this episode back in august I recorded a four-part series about reopening the schools and I made the point that any teacher worth their salt would prepare their children for a blended learning scenario. Now you can listen back to that uh, series of podcasts. It's also called Unsanitized. It's in four parts uh, because much of it is still relevant, I think. Uh, and anyway, uh, to be fair, almost every teacher signed up to some sort of online platform like Google Classroom, Seesaw, Class Dojo, and any other the, uh, platforms that are available and taught the children in their class and their families how to use them. Now, if schools were giving homework, they were generally sending it online on one of those platforms, but they were certainly using the platforms for communicating with families. And schools did their bit, basically to set themselves up for situations where schools or classes within schools might have to close down for periods of time. Now, the question is, did we get anything in return for that? You know, did the PDST create a portal of resources to teach the curriculum online? Did the government ensure there was enough provision for devices and 4G routers for households without access to appropriate ICT? Was any thought put out there about ensuring there was enough staff to cover the inevitable absences from staff uh, due to the high numbers of COVID-19? Any subs, basically? Did they think about creative ways to increase personnel in some way? You know, for example, maybe make the fourth year of college 100% classroom-based? I mean, these... I mean, this... I mean, something like this would give opportunities to make classes smaller and make someone available to teach online at the same time. I mean, did they do anything at all, really? That's the question I'm trying to ask you. Did they do anything? And the simple answer is they didn't. And here we are. What we need is what we've needed since May. I have been saying that the plan to reopen schools could be summed up in the following emoji, the fingers crossed emoji. And, you know, unfortunately, your whole plan... It, 
being fingers crossed is not a very good plan. If we look at Moldova, who had seven different plans for returning to school, depending on how rampant the virus was. I mean, we, we just, we didn't have a, I, I can't say we really had a plan. Maybe if at my most generous, we have a plan A, chuck them all in and keep your fingers crossed. We still need, uh, and we certainly need now, a proper plan for blended and remote learning. We did a good plan for teaching children with additional, We sorry, we need a good plan for uh, teaching children with additional needs. We need student teachers to be available for subbing and to use this time in lieu of their teaching practice at a bare minimum. We need PPE to be provided to all staff and we certainly didn't need a 40% cut to that grant that was given for PPE in term one. I'm just gonna stop mid rant here because I've been reading some of the commentary about this cut, this 40% cut to PPE for this term. The information about the 40% cut to PPE was sent to schools and I just find it, the timing of it is just, you know, you can't, there is absolutely no way you couldn't say this is deliberate. It was sent on the late afternoon of the 23rd of December. Now, if you can cast your mind back a couple of weeks, if you were like me, you had basically crawled to the 23rd of December, the very last day of term. And if you had sense, you would have switched on your vacation email notice and taken your annual leave like almost everyone else in the country does. Anyway, the news filtered through about this cut. I, I, I presume you remember the outrage about this. I mean, I presume you heard Delph being flinged across rooms in temper. I mean, I, I presume you heard various parent groups and parents shouting from the rooftops that their children's schools were, would almost have half their funding cut for hand sanitizer and other things like that, or SNA's face masks. Um, paper towels, things like that. Items that are needed for the isolation rooms to keep people who are looking after sick children safe. Do you know what? I'll tell you what I heard. I heard people defending the cut because this term coming up is a little shorter than the previous term. But the thing is, it's not 40% shorter. You know, and sometimes I actually think we're our own worst enemies. Anyway, I've totally digressed. I'm sorry for the rant. Although, as you know, all my podcasts are rants. So, I don't know. Um... You know, I don't know what young folks say, what to say. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, we still need teachers uh, to carry on here. We still need teachers in the high risk category to be redeployed to teach children who are in the very in the high risk category. We need a consistent plan for all schools and not leave everything up to individual schools. Look, none of this is new. None of it's new at all. These are all things that should have been in place. We've needed that back then and we need it now more than ever before because cases are now rampant. And we also need honesty. And we haven't had that. We have, and, and I mean, I, I think this is just something, you know, it needs to be said, um, and I'm not the only one saying it, but we haven't had honesty. And, um, you know, and this is, and, and to be honest with you, it's come to bite the government in their bums, basically, to put it bluntly. The narrative that schools are safe may work with people that need schools to be open. Okay? Now, uh, this is people who, who, um, who obviously work and don't have childminding. You know, I mean, one of the things that came out of this just before the holidays, I think there was a suggestion that we were closed two days earlier and uh, it was uh, Norma Foley released a statement based saying, no, the sanctity of the sc- standardised school year cannot be done because of childminding arrangements and so on. And, oh, oh wait, they've, um, haven't they just closed the schools for three days? Um, anyway, that's not important. Nothing to see here. Um, but anyway, what I'm saying is, you know, if someone told me that schools were safe and I had no childminding, which which is actually what I have, that is my scenario, I'd be inclined to try and believe it no matter what and close my eyes and 
stick my fingers in my ear and go la 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 because I need that to be the case uh, in order for me to get my child minding um, and, and I, I don't mean that in any derogatory way you know I think I think I think I think I'm being fair when I'm saying that um, but you know look maybe maybe I'm being unfair I don't know but you know the fact is schools have always been risky it's it's been risky it's always been risky to reopen the schools you know when cases were low there was a low risk in the community i mean the community transmissions and school transmissions you know this this nonsense that that schools are much safer than the community and blah blah blah, blah. they're not you know if the community if you have a community that has high covid cases naturally a school is a community of people and all the families in that community go to that particular school i mean it makes absolutely no sense to say schools are any safer than the general community um and it's just you know now that um the cases are so high it's extremely risky to open schools and all the way through since certainly since i've been tracking it uh with uh, through through some of uh, the people who've been doing that schools are consistently the fifth most popular place for clusters COVID-19 clusters to form and that's higher than hospitals now look I was never one I know I'm not and like it's 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 nonsense that I have to do this every time I say this I don't want schools to close you know I, I've never wanted schools to close I don't think it's a I, don't, I think schools could open in a certain uh, you know I I can't it would take a lot of work for them to, to open absolutely safely but certainly um you know there is an element of risk of everything that we do i know that uh, and i'm not naive enough uh, to think there isn't you know you wouldn't leave your house um you know people wouldn't be able to go to supermarkets because again there's a risk that the people working in those supermarkets um there's a risk of them getting um getting covid 19 from the customers and so on um and but i mean provisions are put in place uh, to make it as safe as possible now i suppose that's where the difference is with schools we haven't been provided with enough um, safety measures to make schools less risky and the fact is you know being the fifth most popular place for clusters to form higher than hospitals as I said is not a good uh, is not a good thing it's higher than most things fifth most popular in fact the only uh, places uh, that are more popular are residential places that's homes nursing homes um, and, and places like that residential homes all that sort of stuff so I just can't you know and the thing is I suppose I mean, the problem is there's just been a blatant misrepresentation of the facts um, by by the government, by NFET, in terms of actual school cases. And we kind of know that now. And I think what that's done is it's eroded any trust the public have in the safety of schools. Um, the politicians are still saying that schools will reopen as normal on the 11th. And to be honest with you, I mean, as I said, it's the 2nd of January now. I can't think of anyone who think that's in any way safe right now. Um, I mean the government are still spouting case figures that are wildly underreporting the actual numbers i mean for example last week the government said there were only only and inverted commas 94 cases in schools out of the 1.1 million students now the sentence that sentence in itself is deliberately misleading it's basically like saying well there were only 800 cases out of the 5 million uh, population in the entire country so therefore everyone is in, everywhere is entirely safe you know it, it's saying you know doing things like that is not is not um kosher in, in, for me i think i think it was mischievous uh, to say something like that uh, but worse there weren't only 94 cases according to the group alerting parents of covid19 outbreaks they receive um 
basically from they basically what they do is they ask uh, for parents um, and uh, the, ge the general community to send them any notifications from the HSE or a school if there's been a case in a school and they collate those they only collate the figures that have of are officially come from the HSE um, or from the from a principal's letter uh, but generally it's HSE letters and they received 208 cases on the same week that the NFET and the government said there were only 94 cases in schools now it's inconceivable to me that more than half of these are being reported um you know uh, half of them are being reported as school more than half of them are being wrongly reported as school cases you know i mean it just doesn't make sense you know i i'd be okay if it was close enough to 208 you know i'd even give them 170 180 do you know it would be close enough because there's always a bit of a margin for error but this is you know this is this is this is uh we you know where honesty is so important you know it doesn't achieve anything either by not giving the right figures we're still in the same situation except this time we have less trust and uh, that's that's problematic so what do we do now look i think schools did their fair share you know uh, and I, I i think that might be the understatement of the day and um, if not the year uh, it is only the second of january so uh, but anyway you know we did our fair share we got the schools open we got the schools open not the minister we got our schools open we kept the cases a, a, a down as much as we possibly could and you know what we got our girl of Mahogut day we got our commendation letter and video from norma foley but what we didn't get was the other side of the deal we did our deal what about theirs and despite all of the ideas above that i, I listed i think it's too late now to come up with a blended learning plan with a week to go we're going to go to week and there's no way i don't think they can implement some of those ideas up there you need to know all of them pretty much there's no way the government can come up with some sort of plan that could be put in place in time and with that in mind i you know i actually think given the figures and given the testing is over capacity and given that we have no plan b never mind a c d or e and given that we haven't got any of the resources to ensure vulnerable children don't miss out if we went to remote teaching i just think the only option now is to close schools for the winter and make up the days later in the summer and when i say close schools I mean closed closed that means no remote teaching and you know I'll let that sit you know I just don't think they're going to be able to pull it all together with a week to go and even as I'm saying this I don't like this plan any more than it sounds it shouldn't have come to a situation like this where this might be the only option that it's too dangerous now to open the schools and there's no plan b because the government didn't create a plan b we should have had plans to reopen the schools in a blended way we should have been able to ensure education could continue but the government messed it up they really just messed it up and there's no beating around the bush really with that you know and sometimes one just has to admit there's no good solution and this might be the only solution look sure we could open the schools as normal on the 11th as the government are saying and keep our fingers crossed however with a huge number of cases it's likely there will be large numbers of families isolating and thus not being able to send their children to school at best however there's also the problem that staff will no like will, will no doubt be having to isolate and possibly catching COVID-19 and there's no subs around at the moment where you know there wasn't subs before Christmas I don't know how we managed the reality is that schools 
will basically continue being petri dishes and cases will continue to rise. Another option is not to close schools, but close the school buildings and switch to remote learning. However, you know, if we do that, we're going to have the same problems that we did in the first lockdown when we went for that option, which was to close the school buildings and try remote learning. Children, many children were left out of the system, basically, you know, due to a number of reasons, maybe lack of sufficient devices, children with additional needs simply couldn't access remote learning, and the government did nothing to help these children. Um, and they still haven't put anything in place for those children. And every single study about the first lockdown uh, basically indicated that that the last lockdown had a worse effect on vulnerable children. That's children uh, from DESH, uh, so disadvantaged backgrounds or poverty, and uh, children with additional needs. Another option uh, is to simply allow special schools to open and maybe special classes within schools to open. And while this might help a few thousand children out, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's certainly an option, there are many thousands more in mainstream classes um, so this is uh, children with additional needs who are in mainstream classes and do need support so these are um, children with possibly SNAs and that doesn't uh, you know they're, they're, they wouldn't be included in this and it doesn't all it also doesn't sort out the, the, the situation as I said with disadvantaged uh, uh, families from disadvantaged backgrounds um, you know they're still not going to have access look you know I could go through many more simple solutions but all of them exclude children that need to be, you know, in education. They need education. And leaving it up to individual schools, because that's another option, I suppose, won't work because we need criteria and there just isn't enough time for that. And schools are so different now that it's going to be very difficult to manage that. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if that's, a, if that's a, a, an option either. In fact, I know it's not an option. However, the most simple solution is to basically take some of our summer leave now and make it up when the country is safer. Look, it's not ideal, and it's certainly not something that we should have to do, but what can we actually do? I mean, one trouble with this situation is, I suppose we don't know how long this is all going to go on for. I mean, we've, I mean I'm mean, i recording this, and in the middle of recording this, I just checked the COVID app there. There's over three and a half, there's about three and a half thousand cases this evening. Like, it was 1,700 yesterday. I think, I, I know the figures are a little dodgy, but, you know, it sounds like we're really, really in big trouble here. The, the virus isn't going to magic away in February or March. Now, I know vaccinations are, you know, starting and, you know, hopefully by the end of January, we're going to see some more vaccines come on stream and there'll be more, um, you know, more done. But it's still going to be cold and I don't know. I don't, It's going to be very, I suppose it's probably worth a risk. I don't know to try closing for the next few weeks and get the numbers down and see if we can get the numbers down um but it, I, it is a risk i suppose but you know what's actually going to happen is probably anybody's guess look i'm recording this as i said on the saturday before anyone's opened up um i guess people are going to start waking up for the new year on monday the 4th of january um i don't expect anyone to be doing anything but before then and i imagine you know, on Monday morning, most of the representative bodies will be back in their offices. Well, you know, they, they, they don't actually go to their offices these days, don't they? They, they, they have the pleasure of working from home um, in the safety of their own homes. But anyway, that's not that's uh, uh, that aside. And do you know what? I think they're going to have to think of something. You know, I've given a few ideas there and I don't know. I, I don't like my solution, 
which is to close for the winter and then make it up in the summer but I can't think of a different solution right now um, but you know anything's got to be better than keeping our fingers crossed okay that's it from me I hope you enjoyed this episode um, there's not much to enjoy it was quite a depressing episode it's quite scary um, these days it's, it's really really scary at the moment uh, three and a half thousand cases um, today alone in a, in a very in a small country like Ireland it's it's it, it you know i don't know i don't know it's I, I i must say um this this is the first time i suppose i've been no it's not the first time i've been scared but it's um i'm really scared at the moment about uh what's happening i i i, I can't see you know in any way if cases are that high it being safe for schools to open but just what are we going to do we have to have an alternative we can't you know simply down tools and do nothing and you know or go back to the remote learning idea that didn't really work particularly it worked okay for some children not all um so i mean i guess we have to figure out what do we need to do it's um you know look i i I wouldn't like to be the person making the decisions right now um but i think difficult decisions are going to have to be made but anyway, that's it from me, really. I, I want to thank you uh, for listening to this podcast. If you uh, are new to the podcast, which you may very well be, um, I run this podcast called If I Were the Minister for Education, where I pick a topic every week and discuss what I would do if I was the Minister for Education. Um, these are special episodes where I talk about something that's in the news, and obviously there's no greater news than uh, COVID-19 at the moment. Um, and... Uh, I suppose I just give my thoughts. My thoughts uh, generally can change. Um, I suppose, like like anybody's thoughts. But uh, as of the second of January, I think that's what I'm thinking right now. Um, if you want to hear more from me, you can subscribe to the podcast um, uh, by searching in your favorite podcasting app, whatever that is, whether that's um, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or any of the others, uh, Spotify, all those just search for on shaw's podcast is probably the best way to find it or if i were the minister for education um if you like this uh, episode uh, please um review it if you can give me um and uh, i'd really appreciate that look that's it for me thanks a million for listening and we'll catch you again soon all the best bye bye